This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 255, Amber Cox on Medical Coaching. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. What if the same methods that you used in your office as a hypnotist could actually translate over to the medical model in terms of how you can better communicate with doctors and physicians, how it is that they may actually be able to make use of hypnotic communication principles to become even more effective with their patients, and a, well, positive side effect of this dialogue, how is it that you become that ultimate go-to resource in terms of their ongoing referrals to their patients? And that, my friends, is exactly what this podcast episode this week is all about. I'm Jason Lynette, and we've got Amber Cox on the program this week. And Amber runs the main hypnosis center. And this dialogue is really chronicling the work that she's done as a clinical hypnotherapist, but at the same time, too, bringing in the principles of emotional intelligence. And if you're not familiar with those terms, that really comes down to the mindsets of how it is that we can leverage our emotions in terms of stress management, anxiety relief, as well as chronic hypnotic pain relief, and really how it is that emotional intelligence is, as of right now, one of the most trending topics in the corporate world, and how it is that we as hypnotists can, again, bridge that gap and help people to improve their own experiences. So you're going to hear some dialogue here, whether it's the applications of how it is that we work with our one-to-one clients, but at the same time too, here's what's fascinating. This isn't the category of just B2C, which would be that of business to customer or in our situation, hypnotist to client. We're also going to get specifically into some B2B principles and those little letters and numbers stand for business to business, how it is that you can break out there in the business world and actually speaking to doctors and again, positioning yourself in such a way that it becomes that complementary integrative approach in terms of assisting their patients, our clients. We're all in the same sandbox. Let's all work together. So a lot of great information here in terms of helping physicians to manage stress through hypnotic techniques and in many ways to help them and, well, even yourself to avoid burnout through the use of emotional intelligence. You can find the details about Amber's programs and the work that she does over at the show notes at worksmarthypnosis.com. Dot com on the show notes for this page. And also while you're listening and while you're on the web, head over to one of two different websites that I'd love for you to explore because this year, HypnoThoughts Live, the largest hypnosis convention in the industry. It's happening in August of 2020 in Las Vegas. You can find all the details for the HypnoThoughts Live convention at htlive.com. Net. And before the conference, for those of you looking to either sharpen your hypnotic skills with evidence-based strategies, or even for those of you that are brand new and looking to get certified, check out VegasHypnosisTraining.com. Again, that's VegasHypnosisTraining.com. That's the intensive certification class that I'm actually going to be co-teaching along with Dr. Richard Nongard, the executive director of the ICBCH. So that's the onboarding class to bring you into the profession for those that are brand new or even for those of you looking to sharpen your skills. See all the details and learn how to sign up at VegasHypnosisTraining.com. And then stick around after the convention for the six-figure hypnosis practice blueprint.
Blueprint. This is the two-day business training that I'm doing specifically and strategically focused on helping you to build a thriving hypnotic practice. You can find all the details of that event at Hypno. Six S-I-X, make sure you spell it out and make sure autocorrect doesn't fix it. That's a whole different website, my friends. Hypno6.com. That's where we're going to be hands-on. This is not just a teach you how to run your business course. This is the do it for you course where we're going to be building the assets. We're going to be scripting out the materials and you're going to leave with the business blueprint to get out there and replicate a lot of the great success that not only have I created, but many of my students all around the world. The the catchphrase is, the more we're all successful, the more we're all successful. And one of those things that really can take hypnosis to the next platforms out there is for all of us to be out there running successful hypnosis practices. And that's why I'm putting on the six-figure hypnosis practice blueprint. So again, before the conference... VegasHypnosisTraining.com or check out after the conference for the business training. That's Hypno6.com. And with that, let's jump directly into this week's action-packed, content-rich session with Amber Cox. Here we go. This is episode number 255, Amber Cox on medical coaching. It was really upon accident, honestly. You know, I stumbled into a really good friend of mine actually shopping, and I, she was she's an occupational therapist. And I said, you know, what what's going on with you lately? And she said that she was studying, clino, you know, hypnotherapy. And I said, what is that? You know, what 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 do you do with that? Because I had only seen a stage show, and and funny enough, I was in corporate sales for years, and the first hypnotist I ever saw was Anthony Gailey. Yeah. And I had, and it was amazing. It was an amazing show. And I didn't, I, I was in, it was probably, it was at a national sales meeting in Boca Raton. And there were probably over 500 people. And I really didn't know what to think of it, you know. And actually, when my roommate ended up going up on stage, I would have thought, yeah, you know. So he was amazing. He was just, did an amazing performance, very motivational. But I'd never known about the clinical part of it, the clinical applications. And so as I was talking to my friend, I asked her a bunch of questions about it. And I've always been interested in holistic modalities, natural healing. And I was completely hooked. I was Mm -hmm. like, what I need to find out more. So I educated myself, did a lot of research and found a trainer through the NGA and got my basic certification that way. And then I opened an office with no clients. Yeah, (laughs) that's how (laughs) that's how I, you know, strongly I felt about it. Yeah, no, I love that aspect of the story that you know, when we find th- th- there's a danger that people often get into of, you know, yes, there's value in planning. Yes, there's value in strategizing exactly how mm-hmm. we're going to do it. Yeah. But we do kind of reach that threshold point of going, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to make it work. Mm-hmm. Was it, I'm curious to ask, was it uh, my part, that's part of my story of, you know, signing the lease on the big scary office yeah. and going, well, now it's not a, it'd be nice to get clients. No, I absolutely have to make right. this work. Yeah. What was, what was kind of that thought process of just jumping in like that? So for, for me, it was the same thing, you know, I'd like, I knew, you know, that this was my calling. I felt it with every fiber of my, my being and was completely fascinated by the profession. And so for me, it was, it was not just deciding it was committing to it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we decide to things all the time, but to actually commit to them and go forward with them. And I felt like, you know, doing that, even though I was still, I did a lot of practice. 
I did, you know, I did an extensive amount of that before I really got rolling, but I felt that that would really hold me accountable more to mm-hmm. like make it more of a reality to me and also raise the bar for the profession to have an office. I felt that was very important separate from, you know, my home or, or whatnot, you know, and, or to do it, you know, out of a room in my home or whatever. So, so that to me was the deciding factors. I'm just, if I have the office, then, you know, I'm going to, you know, it's going to be the, the reality, more real, real to me. So. Yeah. Which just to branch off of that for a moment too. I mean, th- yes, there are many people who do run thriving businesses out of their homes and yes. some of them have been on here before talking about how perhaps it's a separate space. It's a mm-hmm. professional environment and it's not walking through the kitchen with all the dishes piled yeah. up. <laughs> right, Yet, right. But still there's something to be said about how when it's the place, when it's fully represented, I there's a quick anecdote of in a BNI group one time, and she was a startup and she was in the role of business coach. And she walks into my space, and this is right before I moved to the new location. But she walks in and she looks around, and the jaw drops, and she goes, I'll, I'll censor the language. Oh, damn. You're like actually legit at this and not yeah. just some startup like me. I'm like, yeah, I've yeah. been at this for like 10 years. Yeah. She goes, oh, I got to do this. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Jason, the thing is, is, is to your point, yeah, there are a lot of people that do that successfully out of their home. But for me at the time, my home wasn't set up for that. I had young kids running around right. and any privacy that I had would have been on a third floor. And it was a nice space up there. But but to your point, it just, for me, the reality and like you said, like legitimately, I wanted, I wanted that. Mm-hmm. I was very clear that that's right. You know, that was my direction, my path. Right. So doing the preparation of getting in a lot of practice, sharpening that education, as you mentioned, what what were those next steps in terms of actually now getting those clients to come to that office and work with you? Talking about it, networking as much yeah. as I could all the time, you know, telling people about it, anybody that I could talk to that would listen to me. You know, I, I, you know, would nauseate my family, I'm sure, (laughs) my friends, you know, so it was just a complete fascination and educating people about what it is, what it's not, no matter who, you know, I could talk to, I networked with, you know, medical offices, I was in corporate sales. So my office was part time, but I had a lot of flexibility because, you know, I made my own schedule. So in the sales arena, I worked in medical, I integrated, interacted with medical offices. So everybody that I came into contact to all of the practice managers, the doctors, I would let them know that I was a hypnotist. Mm-hmm. And so I just, the word spread, you know, and, and just educated people about what it was and, and, and what you could use it for. Yeah. And having known you for a number of years now, I know your focus has shifted to other things, but in those early days, were you focusing on one specific sort of topics, one specific need? Initially, I was focusing on smoking and weight loss. That's, you know, because that's pretty much what people were, you know, I think when people think of hypnosis, those are the two top things probably that people seek out. So for me, my comfort level when I first got started was to really familiarize myself with a good, good program or protocol for weight loss and smoking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And is that the focus nowadays as well, or has it shifted? The, The focus has shifted for me. I still do that actually. Mm -hmm. And, but my focus has, has, has shifted into, I I work a lot with stress management, anxiety, and also with chronic pain. I work a lot with cancer patients. Yeah. Tell us more about that. Uh, So really the, for me, the path has led into 
well, let me back it up a little bit. When I was in corporate sales and I was, I was in for corporate sales for a very long time and I started my hypnosis practice, I really started to notice different, the, what would make some teams and, and some groups of people more successful and cohesive than other teams. And it was, and it was a really interesting and, and, and I would observe people in their environments and there were so many people that were miserable and stressed out at work. Mm-hmm. And, and as a result of the work and the, and the management style and whatnot. And so what happened was I actually, you know, we have, you know, the hypnosis tools to help, you know, change and manage stress and things like that. But what happened was I ended up getting to know Beryl Komar. Yes. Pug in for Beryl. She's wonderful. And I'd never heard about emotional intelligence before. And she has, has been a, a big, huge influence on me. She has a huge body of work on emotional intelligence and has, has done a great deal of work in the field. And when I met her and I started talking to her and getting to know her, what happened was she, the emotional intelligence gave me a language to what I was seeing. Yeah. And so that was a segue into my work with creating awareness, managing self, managing emotions. And it comes down to, you know, how people manage stress and pressure and things like that. And uh, incivility in the workplace and lack of, you know, morale and resiliency and all of those things. And so what I started doing, Jason, was I started doing corporate talks when I was when I was in the sales arena. And I started doing it on communication excellence and emotional intelligence after I trained with Beryl. And from there, what I did was I was able to introduce hypnotic language, hypnotic behavior, hypnotic techniques to help manage stress and pressure and to increase engagement, resiliency, loyalty, all kinds of things. And that led me further into the medical field. And a few years ago, I actually was offered a position in the medical field and it was to be a, a physician and clinician coach. And I coached on the principles of emotional intelligence, but it gave me the gateway to address all of those issues with stress and pressure and physician burnout using hypnotic, my hypnotic techniques. Yeah. And to rewind back for a moment, mm-hmm. for those that are new to this concept of emotional intelligence, how would you go about introducing that? How would you define that? So emotional intelligence, yeah, that was kind of a long segue. Emotional intelligence to me is the very, it's the foundation of communication. It's the, it's the quadrants of communication. It goes back to Peter Salove and, and James or Jack Myers. And Peter Salove is the dean of Yale. And he's a psychologist. And he and James came up with the quadrants of emotional development and four different quadrants of it. And then that work was actually really brought to the forefront by Daniel Goleman. And if anybody unleashes the power of Google, they'll know who he is. But he wrote for the New York Times for a number of years. And he really brought emotional intelligence to the forefront. And what it really is, and he was put on Time Magazine. He had a bestseller that was that's um, 40 languages, emotional emotion called emotional intelligence and it's in 40 different languages but it's what it is is the ability to become self-aware and to self-regulate in our interpersonal and intrapersonal relationships so the premise is we can't manage what we're not aware of mm-hmm. and so that's the very foundation of bringing in hypnotic techniques and to address you know stress and pressure anxiety things along that those lines yeah and 
To get specific for a moment, you mentioned recognizing even when it was back in the sales environment, here mm-hmm. were where there were teams that were not interacting with each other. Mm-hmm. Could, could you kind of explain that through the filter of emotional intelligence to, to illustrate that? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're as human beings, communication, it's everything. We're always communicating with ourselves or with somebody else. And it can either, you know, make or break conversations. And so many people are driven and triggered by what someone else is doing or what they're not doing. And it's creating their state. They're not in control of it. And so what emotional intelligence does is it brings it back to self to really say, okay, what's going on for me to create that awareness? How am I going to manage this? How do I want to be an effective communicator and a cohesive communicator with myself and with the people around me in a nutshell? Yeah, there's a description which this goes in, which is where it's the perfect correlation to hypnosis and a lot of the techniques that we use, whether it's direct hypnotic techniques Mm -hmm. or NLP strategies, that here's the classic example of at work, this person does this and that makes me feel this way. Mm -hmm. Stepping into that realm of emotional intelligence, it's a lot of the same language we're already using that instead, well, here's something that that person did. I cannot necessarily control that, yet I can change my reaction to it. And here's a bank of strategies and techniques that can help me to do that better. Yeah, absolutely. And it's all it's all that NLP supposition of, you know, help me out here. The meaning yeah, is subjective. It gets. And we get to, all meaning is subjective. We get to yeah. decide, you know, what we make that mean to us. And the meaning of our communication is response we get. It comes back to that. And I always, you know, when I, when I teach and when I do workshops and I always talk to people about, you know, it's it's not an excuse for someone else's bad behavior, but at the end of the day, it's about how you want to feel internally and, and really regulating your internal state, your internal well-being, your internal health so that you you just feel better, you know, mm-hmm. and life is less stressful. And But yeah, so I mean, I found so many people on teams it always so enrolled with what someone else was doing, what someone else didn't do, and there would be so much incivility. And it would be a breakdown where people weren't communicating. There was a lot of absenteeism. People were actually carrying that into projecting it to the patients that were coming into the office. It also, a lot of times, the quality of work um, declined, increase in errors, things like that, because of the level of stress and the emotional state. And there's also, you know, a lot of correlation to, you know, brain science. And when we are stressed, our brain, um, our function and ability declines. Yeah, which to clarify it then, and similar to the original inspiration, Anthony Gailey, who's mm-hmm. been on this program a whole bunch of times over yeah. the years, and we'll link it in the show notes, of course. But you're not necessarily going in with the pitch with the offer of hypnosis. You're beginning with something yeah. which, just to call it out, in that corporate world, emotional intelligence is a major trending topic these days. Yeah. And you know what? I, that is so important because for me, when I started working with a hospital a few years ago, I actually, uh, it was someone I knew that already worked there and there was a position for a coach. Um, and they were talking to me about the work that I do with emotional intelligence. And they told me straight up, they said, Amber, you cannot go in as a hypnotist because they're not, they don't understand it. There's a lot of misconception and, you know, there, you have to go in leading in with the emotional intelligence. And that was really hard for me because the H word, a lot of times, and, and, you know, we've come a long ways, but we still have a long ways to go. So to me, you know, using the emotional intelligence as a strategy 
because to me, it's the basis of the work we do with hypnosis. But using it as a strategy to open up doors was hugely successful for myself. And people were very open to it. And as you said, it's, it's, it's a huge, you know, it's on the forefront right now. And if you do any, you know, research on it, it's, it's a defining difference between individuals, companies, organizations that are highly successful, leaderships that are highly successful. I mean, it impacts employee engagement, morale, resiliency, safety, um, outcomes, all kinds of, there's all kinds of areas that it, that it impacts if someone mm. is more emotionally intelligent. And the great thing is, is that it can be learned, you know, we're, we're born with a certain IQ, it doesn't change a lot, but with emotional intelligence, it can be developed and learned. Yeah. So then to get specific here, what would be one of the applications when you say it directly correlates to classic hypnotic techniques? Can you give an example of where you're going in and sharing these specific strategies? Sure, absolutely. So, so this is what was a real aha moment with me. When I was offered the position a few years ago. I didn't know what I didn't know, right? So I, mm-hmm. I switched up my resume. I and I really emphasized on the emotional intelligence and the you know communication um, workshops and leading that I was doing in the sales arena. And when I got offered the position, that's when I started talking about hypnosis and and really was able to really open some doors with that. But initially, what I found out. And I was like, this is, this is unbelievable, is that every hospital organization, they are ranked, they have to be come in on into certain what are called benchmarks. There are national mm-hmm. survey companies that have you ever gotten a call about patient satisfaction? How did your, did your doctor listen to you? Did you feel heard? Did you understand what they, they explain things? It's all about patient satisfaction and experience. Right. Well, Yeah, which that's a huge factor. I just mentioned that being at marketing conventions, the number of companies that are building systems, not just for online reviews, but really making sure people are coming back, making sure that they're actually satisfying those needs, because even the insurance companies are getting into those checkpoints too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, so what happens is that doctors, special specialty doctors, ambulatory doctors, every doctor out there is ranked. And uh, their patients are surveyed. And if they're not falling into a certain percentile, then the reimbursements to the organization are not not as much as they would be if they were Mm -hmm. falling into these certain benchmarks. And all of the physicians and the clinical staff are actually ranked on how they did with the patient experience. And there are patient experience targets and goals and strategic goals to improve in, in patient experience, satisfaction, and engagement. And so... There are actually, I'm going to refer to like best in class in hospital, which are leaders in the industry. Kaiser Permanente is one of them, Cleveland Clinic, Mayo Clinic, Barrel Institute. These are all names that actually are really that other hospitals follow that have done a very good job with patient experience and have really good benchmarks. And what they do is they follow a code of behaviors. And what I realized was that these behaviors that are evidence-based and they are used by best-in-class as well as other authorities in the medical industry, there's a set of behaviors that are 
that are ab- that are actually very directly correlated to hypnotic language, hypnotic behavior, hypnotic tone. It's all about like acknowledging, listening, active listening, eye contact, rapport, matching and mirroring, doing something called teach back. And so when these when these certain behaviors are brought into the the visit with the patient, what they found is that the patient experience goes up, the satisfaction scores go up, the loyalty is there, that patients actually have safer outcomes because they're open to what the doctor is saying, what the physician or the nurse is saying, and they'll follow the plan of care. And so it reduces litigation you know, lawsuits, things like that. And also if something does go wrong, because, you know, things do, that if they really like their doctor, they like, you know, their their provider, that they are very less likely to sue because they have mm-hmm. more of an emotional connection with that person. They like them, they trust them. They see them more as a, as a person. Which for many people listening to this, that's changing the dynamic of how we think about our medical networking, that it's not just you know, knocking on the door mm-hmm. of the dentist down the hall yeah. and going, send me people, which they don't know you yet. Of course mm-hmm. not. But instead to go in and hear something where you're providing value. You mentioned in terms of specific techniques, is there some sort of specific, you know, correlation you can build now of here's a hypnotic technique that perhaps we use with our stop smoking, our weight loss clients, yet here's how it fits into this context directly. Yeah, absolutely. So if you think about what we do when we meet a client for the first time, how important that pre-talk is and how important that rapport is, those are the same types of things that I coach doctors and nurses and even the front staff, every point of transition of care on how to interact from the first point of contact with that patient. So it would be everything we do in our office. I mean, these are these. This is everything that makes for a strong hypnosis session. You know, uh, are you in rapport with them? You know, are you matching and mirroring? Are you listening? Are you you know giving back what they're saying to you? Are you are they comfortable with you? Are you really paying attention to their body language, to their eye movement patterns like that? So those are the type of things that I would bring into my model of coaching and emotional intelligence modeling that behavior into coaching physicians and clinicians so that they would know how to do that because they're so, some people are naturally emotionally intelligent and other people are not, are are just unaware. So even, you know, I've had sat with doctors and they're like, well, I don't, I don't know what you mean by my tone, or I don't, I don't mm-hmm. know how I look. I don't know what my expression is or, or not even, you know, even using someone's name or yeah. making eye contact or just listening to them. There's something called a two minute rule so that that person feels like they're heard. You know, there's, there's many different techniques that can be brought in that are absolutely hypnotic techniques that I use every time that I have a new client and I use them with clients that are returning as well. I love the the term of that and just just elaborate on that. Two minute rule, what does that refer to? So the two minute rule is when a patient comes in and you could say a client is just to to actually and and as as you maybe you, you know or most people know Clinicians and doctors are always really rushed. Productivity mm-hmm. is really pushed and efficiency. And yet they're held to, you know, 
but we want good patient outcomes and we want good patient experience scores. So, so basically the two minute rule is when a, when a patient comes into a doctor's office and they make that initial like introduction, you know, use the person's name. There's a couple things that, that they do at first, sit with them, sit at their level, give them two minutes to just say, okay, I see you're here for this. What else is important to you today? And to just give them a couple minutes, because usually that person will say everything that they need to say within that couple of minutes. And then that really is a proactive approach to heading off the, the whole visit being derailed or being longer than it needs to be because that person feels like you actively listen to them, that you, you know, let them say what they needed to say. A lot of doctors will come into a room, rush into a room, look at their computer screen, look up, tell you what they see, what's going on, and, and there's not an opportunity to have that exchange of information. And also, this is, this is a fact, this is based on research that when people go to see their their doctor or they're, they're going into the hospital they're kind of in a they're actually in a in a state where they're they're very suggestible because they're nervous they might be in pain they're worried and so what happens is a lot of the time when they go in they if they are not given the opportunity they'll forget they won't mm-hmm. remember the the average i think that is in in the United States, the average reading level of comprehension is like the ninth grade, somewhere around there. And statistically, 80% of people that go in to visit a doctor, they forget about 40% of that. Or they don't understand it if they're not listened to or asked. And then when they leave, they forget another half of it. And you can, if, if, that's, if that, per, that percentage you can see would have a staggering impact on safety outcome, following medication, you know, plan, plan of care, what they're supposed to do, confusion, all kinds of things. There's a, there's a dialogue, even before you and I scheduled this time to have you on the program, there's yeah. a dialogue that I had. Here was a, it was a doctor, general practitioner who was in the office as a client. And, and he brought up something, and I've said this statement many times before, it's not that your client is lying to you. It's that Mm -hmm. they've told themselves the story so many times Mm -hmm. that they start to believe it. Absolutely. And he he talked about how, you know, we we went back to the first time that we met and it's exactly what you've just mentioned about, you know, the classic now Melissa Tears line, what would you like to change today? Mm -hmm. And I just stopped talking. I become that absorbing sponge and just listen and as he talked it out, you know, our clients do speak in techniques. Mm-hmm. And as he started to unravel it for himself, let's look at it from an NLP model of going, you know, the breaking down of the structure of language. As he spoke it out loud, he was already starting to find the gaps. He was already starting to realize, oh, yeah, but I can do this. I can do that. And here's what I can now set in motion. And was already beginning to resolve the issue themselves. Uh-huh. So the power of just simply having that moment to listen Yes. Which I love that nuance that you mentioned that assuming the rapport is there, it, I don't want to say gives us permission to screw up, but it mm-hmm. builds that ability that if there is some sort of hiccup along the way, it's okay because now we have that trust, we have that connection, and we're not necessarily going to that place of, I need to call a lawyer. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, I mean, litigation is staggering in the medical field. And and what that does, like you said, it takes it out of that. It, it, it really creates like a very relatability to the person. It, it creates patient-centered care, which means that that patient is in there and they're feeling like I'm heard. I'm not, you're not coming in here to do something to me. You're doing it with me. We're in mm-hmm. this together. And that's a very, very different relationship. 
And also what happens is when when these techniques are taught to physicians and clinicians, there's actually a benefit to the physician and clinician because when they slow down just for a minute to speed up, they actually are getting something back from that authentic connection with that other human being that is there, not just because, you know, they might need a medication or they, you know, a diagnosis, but because there's an emotional component that's comforting. And when you know, traditional medicine runs its course or it's no longer providing comfort. All we have is that human connection to be there, to listen to that person's story, what their story is. It's about them. And that's incredibly powerful. And what that does for the provider, the clinician, it brings the joy back to why they got into medicine in the first place, especially when they're pushed and pushed and pushed and burnout is at an all time high and suicide, you know, rates among doctors. And so what happens is they're really getting that, getting something back. Like, wow, I really connected today. I really felt that I really, you know, this, I had this exchange and that was, you know, that made me feel incredible. So it's not just uh, all about the hard skills, the technical skills, it's bringing those soft skills to the forefront. Yeah, but to look at those specific skills, we've talked about how the context of what we do in our office with our clients is something that we can highlight for these communities, whether it's Mm -hmm. even all of this, I'm sure, directly correlates. It's the community that I speak to, the people in sales. Mm -hmm. So let's get into the actual, let's say, specific techniques, though. Are there specific hypnotic methods that you're sharing with them outside of the pre-talk, outside of the rapport? Yes, I am. So what I'm sharing with them is how to pace breathing, mm-hmm. how to match and mirror, also how you would break rapport, what that looks like, how to slow down, how to pick up on eye movements, body language, you know, how a person's sitting. So all of those nuances, all of the unspokens that are not said with words, but to how to really observe and be there and be on that level with that person. So uh, those would be those would be some of the techniques, how to do active listening and how to, I think as David Snyder says, and I had just heard this echo back. Yes, we talked to the echo technique. Yeah, it's kind of, it's called actually teach back in the medical world. Mm-hmm. And it makes sure that you're taking responsibility and that you understand what that person said. So it's, it's like an echo back. So there's yeah. matching, mirroring, pacing, breathing, tone, pitch, body language, you know, mismatching if, if that, if that's something that's needed. So it's, it's that's so, so let, let's branch off of that for a moment. So yeah. when, when would they want to mismatch? So when they would want to do that is when a patient is going in a direction and giving too much attention and energy to something that's not going to be important. Mm-hmm. So to do something in a way where it's not giving it more attention and giving it more energy. So yeah. to completely change tone or change direction or be very neutral about it. Which this is a this is a huge topic around, and this is part of the solution even for the people out there listening, that mm-hmm. you're in session with your client, mm-hmm. and so often you ask a question, and rather than answer the question, they dip into backstory. Oh, yes. Which yes. may have value, but you want to find that way to come back to the yes. actual change work mm-hmm. rather than- Go you know, down it's the not, rabbit hole. Yeah, and this, this statement is not meant to put down talk therapy, but that's not how we're presenting ourselves. Absolutely, and I always say that right up front. You know, I'm I'm not talk therapy. This is behavioral, and so mm-hmm. so mis- mismatching is incredibly important because a lot of times in the medical world too, or you know, in our sessions, you know, we we still have to you know we have time. 
we have a time schedule, we have to time yeah. manage. And, and that's just the way the world operates. And so how do you do that in a way that, you know, isn't in a way that it doesn't come across rude, or you're not listening or, or whatnot, but you just, you know, do uh, a mis- mismatching style so that you're not giving that more energy and kind of bringing them back to the reason that they're there. So by doing these presentations, is that the end goal or is this now leading into something else, perhaps referral sources, clients actually mm-hmm. coming in? What's what's the system for you around this? So what I have developed is a medical coaching model that's evidence-based and it's based on best practices, best in class, and it's a model of behavior excellence based on the principles of emotional intelligence that incorporates hypnotic techniques, hypnotic language, hypnotic behavior into those. And it's it's everything that correlates and is directly correlated and linked back to benchmarks, national benchmarking, reimbursements, things like that. So you could go into, you know, a medical organization and do a presentation and you could coach hotspots, you could coach teams, you could coach certain areas. This work actually led me into a contract for the oncology department to work with cancer patients because I was able to get in the door with the emotional intelligence. And as I spoke about hypnosis and demonstrated it and did talks about it, I I even did some keynote speaking for the hospital, as well as uh, some demonstrations on glove anesthesia. So that got around. And then there's a a lot of areas in the hospital where our, our techniques are greatly needed. There's a huge opioid crisis going on. So for Mm -hmm. chronic pain management, there's so many people that can't get through MRIs because they're claustrophobic or they have like trauma from the diagnosis of a treatment, severe anxiety. I mean, there's so much. And what happens is these patients, they either, they can't get through the session, their, their treatment. It's so, so it impacts the efficacy of it or their, 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 the, Physicians are having a hard time managing the amount of medication they're taking because they're not managing their stress very well and they don't have time to. Or these patients get put off because they have to come back to try to get through the treatment again. There's there's just so, Jason, there's so much opportunity. Yeah. And what's great about that is I'm flashing back to, there's an episode a couple of months back with Richard Nongard, which was about you know the most up-to-date hypnosis research you should know about. And one of those specific studies, which we'll, we'll link to that in the show notes, one of the specific studies was talking about cancer patients. Mm-hmm. And what was so great about this one specific piece of research is exactly what you just mentioned. It clarified, this is the role that we can serve. Mm-hmm. It was not going to the place of trying to claim we can cure something right. or we can you know get rid of it. It was instead highlighting, okay, so here's the nausea. Here's the mm-hmm. time distortion of going yeah. through treatment. Here's the fear of small spaces going through the MRI. Yeah. And to look at it as this integrative role inside of what they're already doing, that's the dialogue that I'm sure the medical community is responding best to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they need it now more than ever. And people are seeking out, you know, complementary medicine. And also, there's a governing body of the hospital called the Joint Commission. Are you familiar with the, with Joint Commission? Familiar with the term, but okay. get more specific. So yeah. basically, it's a governing agency. It's a national agency. And they 
they basically, when they come calling, the hospital stops everything. They can shut you down, fine you. They're all about quality and safety and patient satisfaction. And so they have standards that all hospitals have to adhere to. And they released a report in 2017, and I have that report. And on the and it's the very first part of it. It's EP1 through EP5, EP5 but it endorses and advocates for the hospitals to seek out complementary alternatives to address the opioid crisis, pain management, and help help the well-being of patients through complementary medicine and alternatives. Beautiful. And that's a really powerful document to have. Right. And I mean, especially, I, I hear less of it now. It was more like mm-hmm. seven, eight years ago that I was hearing more of this older dialogue of an us versus them when you've got folks out there who are so deeply invested in the medical model, even though they are not technically medical people Mm -hmm. and helping again to define that line. And here's where we can support. Here's where we can improve rather than say, oh, I can do that better. Oh, send me the people you can't fix, which is the fastest way to get zero referrals. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Right. And that, that's really important. So I always say it's a compliment. You know, yes. compliment. And for me, you know, one of the things that came out of my work with the hospital, which I'm really proud of, was actually I was selected and I thought to me this was this, you know, was a huge accomplishment. I have a, a, co- a colleague that I know that works for a large healthcare organization. And there's something called the Society of Radiation Oncology Administrators, and they have a national meeting every year. So they're you know, uh, radiation oncologists that come from all over the United States, and they take classes, and it's mostly on like new equipment, new technology, things like that. But my colleague said, why don't you throw in an abstract for clinical hypnosis applications for cancer patients? See what happens. And so I did, and I was chosen, and I went and presented at this national conference. And so for me, what was really awesome was that they felt it important enough to choose something way off the grid. They'd never had Mm -hmm. anything like this. And the feedback was tremendous, and I've been invited to go back next year. Nice. Congrats. Thank you. So, but for us, it's like raising the bar in our our field to have the forum to talk to people that are direct patient care and and know what hypnosis can do to complement and make their life easier and how it's just good patient care and the different, the various things that you can use it for. And, you know, at the end of my presentation, I, I was asked, well, what could we do? And I said, well, my ask is to share this, to I share see. this information. I said, my dream is to have a formal hypnosis program in every hospital as triage, you know, as a compliment. Yeah. I said, that would be my dream, you know. Which so- that's, that's really not too far off when you see how to put into the similar categories of, of course, chiropractic and acupuncture, mm-hmm. and even some hospitals instituting Reiki and mm-hmm. you know just offering these services. This is not a pipe dream anymore. This right. is something very realistic. And this is a great way to get that in motion. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it was, I mean, I, you know, it wasn't, I was just not, not so much that I was proud of myself, but I was thrilled that to me that said, wow, they're interested enough to select this. And after my presentation, um, a gentleman came up to me who was, who was on the board of directors of the S, the Society of Radiation Oncology Administrators. And, I, and he said, I was part of the selection process. And he goes, we're very interested in, in what you submitted. And he said, I'm so glad that you came because this was excellent. And he said, you know, we've never had anything like this. And he said, we actually had more people submit to, to present at this conference than we've ever had. And, and so he said, I 
I would love for you to come back next year to Miami. He said, this is, this was really, really good and really needed. So that's positive. So not, it's not for, it's for our profession. I'm, I'm all about raising the bar because what we do is so specialized and it's very powerful. And I think for the, the medical venue, for me, it's an, it's a, it's an avenue to help even more people Mm -hmm. and to, you know, raise awareness for our profession and what we do and what we can do. Outstanding. So uh, where can people connect with you? How can they learn more about what you do? So I have a big presence on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn at Amber Cox. And I have a website, mainhypnosiscenter.com. And I'm on Facebook. If you Google me, my search engine is working pretty well. You can find me. So that's, that's how you can find me. Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, we're going to link to everything over in the show notes, of course, over at worksmarthypnosis.com. But Amber, it's been awesome having you on here finally. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I really do. I'm grateful. I appreciate yeah. it. And any, any final thoughts for the listeners out there? For the listeners out here, I, I just, you know, I would, I would just like to say, you know, just continue to talk about what we do, raise the bar, professionalism. We have something so unique to offer that's experiential that can really impact the lives of so many people. So I just encourage you to just keep doing the good work and in our profession. Jason Lynette here once again, and as always, thank you so much for interacting with this program, for leaving your reviews online and sharing this in your social media streams. To find out how to get in contact with Amber, check out the show notes for this episode over at worksmarthypnosis.com. And then for those joining the HypnoThoughts Live convention, if you're already signed up, check out these events. If you're not yet signed up for HypnoThoughts Live... What the heck's wrong with you? It's one of the best. It is the best convention in the industry. It's the biggest. And again, it gathers in from all over the world. Nearly a thousand hypnotists all together in Las Vegas in August of 2020. Get the details of the conference at htlive.net. For those seeking certification or looking to sharpen your skills with evidence-based strategies for change, join me along with Dr. Richard Nongard for an ICBCH hypnosis certification. That's Vegas hypnosistraining.com. And then afterwards, stick around for my hands-on interactive six-figure hypnosis practice blueprint course, which you can get all the details at hypnosix.com. Either way, thanks for listening and looking forward to seeing you in Vegas. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis podcast at worksmarthypnosis.com.